0: Hello and welcome to episode 362 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox, that's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSATdemon Daily podcast. Please uh, email us, help at thinkinglsat.com if you'd like to get on an upcoming agenda. This show will air on Monday, August 8th. You still have a few weeks before the sign-up deadline for the October 2022 LSAT. The deadline for that is on Thursday, September 1st. You can go to lsat.link forward slash dates if you want to see all of those dates. Uh, Next free class that you have an opportunity to come to on Thursday, August 11th. I'm going to be teaching a class called the LSAT is easy. I do these free classes every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And you can just go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan if you would like to sign up for that class. I hope to see you there. We have uh, a great show today. I think we talk about a formula for success on the LSAT right at the top of the show. I hope people will uh, enjoy. I weirdly predicted exactly the formula that Ben had (laughs) predicted, (laughs) which was kind of amusing. Um, And then we have a bunch of emails from listeners, which we really appreciate. You know, Ben, before we dive into all of that stuff, there is one more thing that I wanted to talk about that we forgot to talk about as part of our discussion rankings. Yeah. We have a new page on LSAT demon. It's lsatdemon.com forward slash rankings. Yep. And we it's a, there's a tab at the top or a, a, I don't, what do you call that? A toggle, a toggle. Thank you. At the top um, where you can look at the U.S. news rankings over time and you can also look at the above the law rankings over time. And the the main, I think, takeaway from this new page that we have to show you again, it's lsatdemon.com forward slash rankings. But the main takeaway, I think, is just that rankings are 100 percent bullshit.
1: Yeah, it was surprising to me that above the law, which is a ranking system I would give more weight to than the U.S. News and World Report ranking system, had greater swings <laughs> among these schools, right? Some of these schools, they, they start on the list and then they drop off the list entirely. You don't see them and then they come back. It's strange. There was another one. Where was it? It's
0: laughable. Harvard it's University just-
1: started ranked Number three in 2013 on the above the law ranking system went up to one in 2015, and then in 2022 dropped all the way to 16. Harvard is ranked 16th. Okay.
0: I mean, Yale I... started at one, stayed at one. Now Yale in 2022 is ranked 15th. Duke University is ranked first
1: on above the law rankings. And the above the law rankings in theory are more. <laughs> rational because they're looking at employment outcomes. But so here's what the does point this I want to make mean? <laughs>
0: nothing. The, the main point I want to make is that even if they are real, so like, even if it's true that Duke is today the best law school in the country, mm. I mean, that can't possibly be true, but <laughs> even if it were true, Just the variability in these rankings makes them completely worthless for you deciding where to go to law school. Yeah, because next year it's going to be something else. I mean, well, (laughs) were they real in 2014 when Yale was ranked number one? If if I was deciding in 2014 where I was gonna go to law school, I start in fall of 2014. By the time I graduate, and take the bar now yale is 7th and a few years later now yale my alma mater which is supposed to give me all of these amazing benefits as far as like connections and you know prestige and i'm going to hang that diploma on my office wall forever and everybody but now they're 15th
1: stanford is 27th it went from one from <laughs> first place in 2017 to 27th in 2022
0: stanford a place where supreme court justices come from Yeah, but but even if it's real. Yeah. Okay, so it's clearly not. It's clearly bullshit. But even if it were real, how can you make sensible decisions about where to go to law school based on these rankings, given the fact that they change so ridiculously wildly? Last year, Stanford was eight on above the law. This year, they're twenty seventh. Yeah, really? I mean, (laughs) Now, the U.S. news rankings, at least in the top, are, are, you know, not nearly as variable. Which,
1: by the way, we got to be clear about why that is. That's because, what is it, 40 or 60? I can't remember what percentage it was, but a huge (laughs) portion. The largest portion of the U.S. news and World Report ranking system is based on reputation. So, (laughs) notice how (laughs) the ranking system reinforces its own ranking. So, the reputation comes from the ranking and yet also then determines the ranking. That's circular.
0: Right. Exactly. So, so there, you know, it's like, well, okay, they're at least stable. Yeah. But I mean, I could make rankings that are stable, just never change them. It's like Nathan's law school rankings. And then I just never change them at all. But those, then it's like, well, okay, but that's nothing. That's just an opinion. That's your opinion. Yep. And that's basically what the top, that's why the U S news rankings never change because everyone in the world agrees. Yeah. Harvard, Stanford, Yale. This shit is just so dumb. I'm glad we made this page, but the, the main takeaway is you guys have to stop thinking about law school rankings so much when you make these decisions, you've got to decide in other ways. Yeah. And it's, it's like the, another amazing reason why, Hey, Take the best full ride you can get. Don't pay for law school. Take the best full ride you can get. And then whatever the rankings are going to be, that's what the rankings are going to be. Yep. But at least don't pay for this bullshit. Because if you pay for rankings now, those rankings could be totally different by the time you graduate. And how would you feel about that? (laughs) All right. Let's get on to the show. Let's do it. Ben, you put this thing right here on the top of the list, uh, H equals N divided by C. Yep, that's exactly right.
1: I was just, I just started listening to Eat to Live by Dr. Furman. And at the very beginning of his book, he said the formula for health, H, H equals nutrition divided by calories. So when you're eating foods, you want to make sure you're eating foods that have a high nutrition content per calorie, right? So obviously carrots have a lot of nutrition <laughs> and actually not that many calories. I mean, more than say even lettuce. Chips but on the other hand. Chips on the other hand, high calories, very low nutrition density. So the key to health, according to this guy, is Eat foods
0: that have a high nutrition to calorie ratio. Fruits and vegetables would be a great start on that. It's like automatic. The thing that blew my mind about food when I first read it was I read two Michael Pollan books about food Um, Mm -hmm. in defense of food was one of them. And the omnivores dilemma was the other one. Mm -hmm. And the thing that has always stuck with me, it's super similar in a way. Eat food, mostly plants not too much yep and so by eat food that's the real important one it's like not not human made food (laughs) well if it if it has fucking health claims on the outside of it then he's like what is it's not food it's like a banana doesn't have a you know oh zero fat (laughs) uh you know high in potassium it's like no that's a banana it's food it's real food Yeah. Um. As opposed to all your protein bars and nutrition shakes and all that shit, <laughs> it's like. Yeah. I mean. Now I'm sure they're really good at manufacturing thing these things these days that have high nutrition to calorie ratio or whatever. But still, you're just never gonna beat. You're just not gonna beat fruits and vegetables. It's like it's not possible.
1: Yeah. Now, if you're confused right now and you're saying, "I thought I started listening to an LSAT <laughs> podcast. Why the hell is Ben bringing me a health formula?" The idea of a formula made me think, what's our formula? And I was curious if you had a formula for success on the test.
0: Ooh. Um, we can come up with one. Yeah. Uh, it It's going to have something to do with understanding. It is. Yeah. Right? It's like... Uh, it's like improvement equals understanding divided by time or something like that. Where
1: <laughs> Wait, you got to stop right there. That is, that is the exact formula I came up with. It was, <laughs> It was different letters. It was S, success, equals C over T, and C is clicks. So the number of yeah. clicks you can get per time um and that does not mean number of questions right it doesn't mean oh let's go bang out a hundred drill questions oh congratulations did did anything click for you did you review the question and then learn something from it if something clicks then i'd say that's a win so if someone sits down to study and they get one click in 10 minutes victory
0: win yeah, I mean, I can jump this email right to the top of the agenda. We got one here from Jacob. How, uh, hey, Ben and Nathan, how can students know they have peaked as opposed to being at a plateau? And I think we can use our new found uh, LSAT success formula to answer this question. It's just like, dude, are you getting clicks or are you not getting clicks? If if you're, If the time that you're spending is leading to these aha moments where oh i didn't understand that question but i see i read an explanation i watched a video i figured it out for myself and now all of a sudden i see why the right answer is perfect and the wrong answers are trash and it makes total sense if i get that click then you're still making progress and i don't think that you're at a plateau
1: absolutely and And if you're if you're not getting clicks, the question is, are you at a plateau or are you just not reviewing effectively? Right. I can't imagine a situation where someone can't get more clicks out of the time they spend studying if they just improve the way they're
0: they're studying. We're we're still learning this test. Oh, totally. Yeah. So it's like, right. I mean, there is no such thing as a plateau. Mm hmm. That's not that's just not a thing. Nope. you know, it's I an guess excuse to give up. Right. Exactly. That that was the uh, we're like melding. Our brains are <laughs> melding <laughs> over the years. But, um, yeah. it you know, the, I, I, that, that was exactly the first thing that I thought when I saw this email. It was like, mm-hmm. well, are you asking me? Is this like you're looking for me to tell you that you've reached your full potential? And so you should just like settle. Yep. Because I'm never going to tell you that. You know, if you're at 178, I might tell you, OK, you know, there's no point.
1: Yeah, you could learn more for sure. But what what's the value?
0: Well, of that? if you're at 178 and you start working for us. Yeah. By the way, we're always hiring uh listeners slash demon students. If you have a 99th percentile or a 170 something else score. And you want to become a, you know, permanent student of the LSAT or doesn't have to be permanent because we understand that you probably (laughs) aren't going to teach us forever. Like we're going to teach forever. But if you, you know, if you want to continue to get better on top of your 177, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what our teaching core is all about. So email me. Uh, I want to see your score report and a video of you teaching an actual LSAT question. And we uh, will consider taking you on. But that's, uh, yeah, you're, these plateaus, they come from bad studying. Mm-hmm.
1: Or they're not even happening, but you think they are because you read way too much into
0: three tests or five right. tests. Yeah. yeah. Super small samples. Are you getting the clicks? That's That's the thing, you know, mm-hmm. clicks per time. I guess that's what we're all about at LSAT Demon. That's why we've been so successful. It's like we're not doing dogma. It's not having you memorize a bunch of bullshit theory. We're trying to lead you in the direction of these clicks. And uh, more clicks per time means more improvement.
1: And and maybe that's not the best word because I don't want people who are kind of half-assed listening to this to think that somehow this has to do with clicking through drilling or something. We're talking about the aha moments (laughs) when something clicks and you understand it in your head. And you know you understand it when you can turn around and explain it to somebody with concrete terms, specific words from the passage. If you can't do that, then maybe you've had a fake click. You've thought you understood something, but you really kind of went too quickly.
0: Yeah, if you're I mean, we do see students, refugees, especially from other prep programs who are like, oh, I've been studying. I took this whole class. It cost me two thousand dollars and I took a four month Kaplan class or whatever, and it it didn't do. I didn't improve. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I was getting it, but I didn't improve. It's like, well, okay, you weren't understanding the how the test makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's related Ben to that thing about, you know, when people always ask us, what's the, what are the uh, like characteristics of the students who achieve the most? Yeah. And we both kind of gravitate toward this answer that has to do with accepting that the test makes perfect sense. It's like, if you're not, if you're not seeing how, the right answer is a hundred percent right and the wrong answers are a hundred percent wrong, then you're not doing it right. You're you're not you're not gonna proceed as quickly because that's not a click. If it's like, oh, well, I see how this answer is just better than that other, you know, I mean this one was good too, but yeah. that other one is better. Uh uh-uh. uh that's not a click. That's not that's not understanding. Yeah. Real understanding is like you you've got it. You've got to get to that point where you're like, oh, yeah, I see (laughs) that answer that I chose is just 100 percent wrong. And this other answer does actually answer this question. It is 100 percent right. I get it now. That's the understanding that we're going for. That's what leads to like breakthroughs in your score. I mean, that's what leads to like real sustainable progress. Because once you understand, it's only like a couple small handfuls of these things. Yep. Once you really see it, then you're going to start to see it everywhere. Yeah.
1: Even if the question seems, and people say this all the time, unique, one of a kind, all by itself. I, no. I learned that one, but I don't understand how that's going to help me with others. Yes, it is. I was, as we were talking about this. I was wishing in my mind that there was a way that the demon could determine whether or not you had that click, right? Because wow. if someone could do a question and then review it and the demon could know, then that green light could go on. And it's like, yes, you got it. As opposed to this sort of fake studying that can happen where you're pressing forward, but not really getting those clicks. I don't know if there's a way to do it, but maybe I'm just brainstorming some sort of multiple choice question for that individual answer choice why yeah. is this wrong
0: it would be hard but we mm-hmm. would we would have to we'd have to write out like really thoughtful <laughs> it would, it would it'd be like a yeah it'd be like a multiple choice question for every answer choice yep yep where it's like why is this answer wrong or especially for the right answer why is this mm-hmm. answer right Mm -hmm. And then we give all these like red herrings or false reasons why it might be right. Mm -hmm. And then the one answer where it's like, Oh no, that's the actual click. If you see that, then that's, then you actually get it. Because until someone gets something wrong, they're inclined to think they
1: get it right. It's like, Oh, why is that correct? They choose the wrong answer then. And you're saying, Oh, okay. We need to review this more.
0: Yeah. You want, You want clicks per time, but I mean, you've got to, the first thing is you need to get the clicks to happen. And I guess the pitfall, if, if you worry about the time element of it, you can rush through questions and you can end up with zero clicks per lots of time. Yep. Absolutely. You got to focus on the clicks. (laughs) Yeah, your day of studying, you know, if you if you come to one of our classes or if you do some drilling in the demon or or whatever, your goal really needs to be, okay. like, where do I find that first aha moment of, you know, turning a zero a question where I had no understanding at all? And I just thought I was supposed to be narrowing it down and picking between two. Right. And then the transformative moment is when you're like, oh, no, I totally could have predicted that answer before I ever even read the question. And now I see how all the four answers are totally garbage. And there there was no narrowing it down to two here. There's one answer. Yeah, that's the click. But that might take an hour. That could be your whole day. Maybe we modify the formula S equals C. Right. Yeah. Just. Just get clicks. I don't care
1: what you do today. I don't care if it takes you two hours, one hour. Get clicks. And if some way we could distinguish between real clicks and fake clicks, that would
0: be a win, too. I don't know how to do that. But you got to get a solid click. Yeah, you have to understand the actual test. You just it, it makes sense. You have to understand how it makes sense. You have to make yourself understand
1: it. And that's what we're trying to do with the explanations and. Everything there at your fingertips, but
0: it's really up to you whether it comes into your head or not. One of our devs found this uh, Reddit comment about the demon. You want to talk about it? Sure. So one of our developers shared this link to a comment
1: on Reddit, and it looks like it was a Reddit user who had used the demon and then done very well and said ultimately he thought his success came from His shift in mindset, which he got from the podcast and the demon. And so in no um, particular order, he then listed off the ideas or the maybe the beliefs that led to his mindset shift, which he thought was so helpful in getting his uh, first 170 practice test
0: says reposting this comment about the mindset change, utilizing the demon and the podcast. Uh, In order of importance, I'll list them off. They will sound silly, but really accepting them fully helps. No order of importance. Sorry. Oh, no order of importance. My bad. Okay. Uh, So the first one, the test is easy. Yeah. If you let it be. The right answer is right for a specific reason, and all the wrong answers are wrong for a specific reason. You getting stuck between two answers means you did not understand the question. Even further, the right answer is on the page. That is objective. You choosing a wrong one means you made two mistakes, didn't identify the right one, and didn't identify the four wrong ones. Okay, this is (laughs) definitely our gospel.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Next bullet point says, if you don't understand a sentence, you read it again. If you still don't understand it, you read it again. Irrelevant of time. I think that's a misuse of irrelevant, but ignoring time. Re- yep. Read it again. Regardless Make sure you understand of time. it. Yeah. Regardless of time. Yeah. Yep. Next bullet. If you can't get a question right untimed, then you don't understand. If you can get any question right untimed, then your time will improve through repetition. Yeah. We never want you focusing on speed ever, not on your first day of prep, not on your last day of prep. We want you only thinking about understanding and eventually you'll just naturally get faster because you'll realize how easy it is. Yeah. Always decide whether an argument is valid or invalid before reading the stem slash answer choices. Boy, is that important for logical reasoning? That's huge. Are you a lawyer or are you not? (laughs) Can you see through bullshit arguments or not? Yep. Are you ready for whatever question the judge (sighs) is going to throw at you or are you not? Yeah. It ain't going to be multiple choice when you get to the courtroom. No, this is way easier. (laughs) Always try to predict what both the question type will be and what the answer will be after just reading the stimulus. Hmm. I mean... I that's not actually a thing that I really I, I can see where they're going with that, but that's not something that we actually teach. Now, it is predictable. The question. So, I mean, specifically, the question type is yep. not something that I would bother. Oh, I think this is going to be a strengthen question. No, or it, could question, it could be a question.
1: It could be a flaw question. Oh, but but there are some times when you're sensing, right? Oh yeah, this is probably going to be a paradox question or it's probably going to be a must be true because they just gave me a bunch of facts. That's a bonus. I wouldn't say I'm trying to figure that out because within five seconds, I'm going to know what it is.
0: Right. We can also sometimes predict when it's a parallel question coming up because we read the whole argument and it seems like a valid argument and we go, Mm -hmm. okay, if they just ask me to match this same pattern of, oh, yep. And there, there it is. But so, yeah, so paradox, parallel and uh, must be true or supported. Those are predictable types, but that's that doesn't mean take time to try to predict it. Yeah. Now, predict the answer before you go into the answer choices, hell yeah. Yep. All right, next one, question types. In terms of drilling them in large amounts by themselves, like flaw questions only, does not matter and really doesn't help you. Yeah, that's not something that we do here. Nope. That's, you know, almost every other prep does that. (laughs) We don't 110 flaw questions. Good luck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did organize my uh, logical reasoning encyclopedia that way Mm -hmm. back in the day. Right. But then we rolled all the explanations from the logical reasoning encyclopedia into the demon and the demon just has you do mixed types all the time because that's what you're going to encounter on the actual test. Also, let's be clear about what we're ultimately trying to learn here. And that is how to read a
1: sentence on the page, understand what it literally says, understand what must be true, given what was said, and understand what is likely to be true, but not necessarily true, given what was said. If you can do those things, you're ready for anything. It's not about, yeah, question types. It's important to understand what they're asking. But the core skills of the LSAT are, can you read and understand written English? That's it. So why, why are you getting distracted by this like superficial surface level type of studying, which is actually ineffective and harmful because that's not how you're going to do the actual test. Next
0: bullet says uh, you don't need logic, grammar, training, formal logic training or written if then statements or diagrams to understand logic. It makes sense and will make sense intuitively eventually. Do not get bogged down in the math of logic. (laughs) Dude, totally. Yep. I used to start my classes with a whole lengthy thing about sufficient versus necessary and how we diagram and the contrapositive and if versus only if and all this shit. And these days, I just never even do it. I mean, I use my whiteboard for logic games only Never for logical reasoning, never for linking premises together, never for talking about conditional reasoning. Th- that is that is just LSAT teacher dogma that we have been able to just see through and get rid of now. <laughs> and that's one of many reasons, I guess, why people are improving so much more these days is that they're understanding the test on a more intuitive level instead of all of this mumbo jumbo formal logic shit yep it's not math (laughs) what why are we making it into math it's not math uh okay next bullet point says again the test makes sense just a reminder (laughs) yeah logic games cannot be placed in boxes always be flexible but know that there are specific things that will lend well to all games like focusing on a variable that is affected through multiple rules. The idea there being don't focus on game types. We we don't we don't do game types. We don't do game templates. Yes, there are common skills like putting things in order, like think like putting things in groups, like looking for bottlenecks, this this idea of Focus on a variable that's affected through multiple rules. I mean, what we're doing there is we're looking for the bottleneck in the system Mm -hmm. by focusing on that bottleneck. We can see where the inputs and and the outputs are going to be limited. And that's going to help you no matter what type of game it turns out to be. And there are so many games that are just no type at all. Yep. You know, like the LSAT books or LSAT classes will be like, oh no, that's a hybrid game. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) the fact that you came up with a catch all category for the games that don't fit neatly into types. And Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, that section of the book is one of the thickest sections of the book. Oh, those are hybrid games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fuck off. They're not, what, what are you talking about? They're just, they're logic puzzles. They're not similar at all. You're, you're calling them, Hybrid games because they are just, they don't fit into your other categories. So, you know, another reason why it's just pointless to think about game types at all. When in doubt, make worlds and make them quickly on logic games. Don't waste time. Hmm. I don't know what this test taker means by make them quickly. Um,
1: Or when in doubt. Maybe don't
0: hesitate. Or don't waste time. Yeah, I mean, it's not when in doubt, make worlds. It's look for opportunities to make worlds. Mm -hmm. Try to make worlds. Your default presumption on games should be, I'm going to bake these rules into one or more worlds. So I think it's really helpful to talk about worlds as we're always making worlds. It's just a matter world? of how many. Should we talk about world? <laughs> Make world? No, that's yeah, exactly. Well, that's yeah. what I do. It's like if there's a rule that says P is fifth, then I write one world and I put P fifth and I go, that's the world we're living in. Mm-hmm. Now, a later rule might say S has to go third or seventh. OK, well, then I might split my one world. P's still fifth. S can be third or seventh. Now I have two worlds that we could be living in. Yep. But if I can bake a rule into just one world, I'm always going to do that. Yeah. And then bake the rules. Sometimes I have to split my worlds in order to eliminate other rules. Yeah. But in my mind, I'm always making worlds. Like literally 100% of the games, I'm making worlds. It's just that sometimes there's only one. Most of the time, though, I end up splitting into two or more. Two, three, four, five, six. Yep. So make worlds on the logic games. That should be the tip. We are making worlds. We're always making worlds. Eventually, you'll get to the point where you're making the correct inferences and choosing the correct variables to make those worlds off of. You'll also eventually be able to very quickly see when worlds won't help. Okay, so that's not I don't think that's the right way of thinking about it or slash when not to go further. And that's that's the better way of thinking about it. There are times where splitting further doesn't eliminate any of the rules. Splitting further doesn't eliminate any of the complexity in the game. So let's say you've got two worlds and half of the variables are known in each of those two worlds. And then the remaining half of the variables are just purely wild cards in those two worlds. That's an example of where it's not worth it to go further because, yeah, you could write out all the combinations. But our point isn't to write out all the combinations. Our point is to simplify the game by baking in whatever rules apply. Until we no
1: longer have to worry about the rules. And at that point, you don't have to worry about them because you don't care where those remaining variables go.
0: Exactly. If no rules apply to those remaining, they're just floaters now. They're just wild cards. Well, then I'm never going to split it further. I'm, I'm splitting for a reason. I'm splitting because I have some nasty rule that I want to make sure I don't break And I'll split to eliminate rules. The purpose of making worlds is to eliminate rules so that everything that remains is just, oh, yeah, all that shit can go wherever it wants.
1: Yeah. So maybe the correct (laughs) phrasing here is it won't help anymore. Right. That's probably what this person meant. Like additional worlds wouldn't add any value.
0: Right. But we're always making one. Yep. You know, it's like. Uh, think about a seating chart at a wedding or something it's you have to there's like people who have to sit together there's people who can't sit together there's people who have to sit let's say at the front as soon as you've got those things sorted out then you've got a whole bunch of people who can just go wherever they want and if you want to tell everybody exactly where they can sit you can But they don't have to. Now you're just making arbitrary choices. Right. And that's Mm. not what we're ever doing when we're making a, a, a setup, a template for our logic games. We're we're getting it to where we have satisfied all of the conditions in the game. All the rules. Yep. All answers for reading comprehension are in the passage. The wrong answers are either not in the passage or irrelevant or. They're in the passage, but irrelevant to that specific question. I mean, I should add here, or they're the exact opposite of what the passage said. Like they're in the passage, but they're wrong. If you can't justify your answer with something directly in the passage, it's wrong. Last one says, if you can't answer why the author wrote the passage, then you don't understand it. Not the main point. Just... If the author is attempting to persuade you, be informative, argue against something, et cetera.
1: I think that goes hand in hand with the main point. You need to be able to identify the main point. And if you do so, you should be able to know whether the author is trying to at- persuade you, just inform you or point out
0: a problem or whatever. I mean, yeah, those things happen at the same time. It. I think it's kind of a waste of time to think about categorizing passages by what is the like in this um abstract way like if i say what's this passage about and you go well the author's trying to persuade i go huh (laughs) like persuade me of what what do you mean what come on Mm -hmm. (laughs) no Mm -hmm. what is this passage what are they trying to persuade me on what do they want so this I don't like th- that. That tip seems like it's almost like, well, we're trying to categorize these passages. Like, is this an attempt at persuasion? Is this an attempt at to be informative? Is this a well, what? What do you mean? Like, tell me what they're actually talking about and why they're talking about that thing. Mm-hmm. So, sure. Sometimes it's like, well, the author just wants to tell me about this really cool new scientific development. And, you know, but like, go ahead and tell me what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've, I've used the categories I've used before is that sometimes the authors are being informative and that's the most basic thing. Then they're being critical. They're telling us a problem in the world. And then they're being, they're arguing, they're being a problem solver. They're, They're trying to actually tell us what the problem is and then solve it. And I think that discussion in the abstract is useless. I agree with you there. I do think there is value in telling people that these are the kinds of passages you might encounter so that they're aware of that. I don't know. Some people seem to have this misconception that all these passages have to be arguments for a position that the author is arguing for something. And they might not be. They might just be spewing information at you or something like that. It gives them a framework. Obviously, at the end of the day, though, you have to
0: figure out exactly what
1: it is they're trying to inform you of
0: or whatever. And they, to me, they always have an agenda of some sort. I mean, it doesn't have to be like they're telling somebody that they're wrong, but they, at the very least, they're like telling me that, um, Tony Morrison is awesome at, because of a reason, or they're telling me that this new scientific development is interesting because it's new, because it's the first time that, so- that somebody has done whatever. I don't know. It's just like it's they're not encyclopedia entries. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of passages where the author
1: never seems to step a foot into which side of two issues. So the author would be trying to tell us that there are these two sides, but that, that can happen. But it's the author's not. You know, taking a stance on that and people read into that discussion, a stance of those two sides. And it's like, wait a sec, where did the author ever cross the line
0: and start injecting her opinion? Yeah, that can happen. But, you know, she probably talked about strengths and weaknesses of each of them. You know, so she's here to tell you that there's a debate and it's unsettled, maybe.
1: For sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for uh, digging that post up on yeah. Reddit. You want to read this next email from Pablo? Yeah. The subject
1: is knowing when to tap out. Is this another plateau uh, question? Hello, Ben and Nathan. Like others who have emailed you, I've committed to I've committed the grievous sin of not turning to the demon sooner. I'm currently breaking down the habits I picked up from the LSAT trainer, Kaplan and LSAT Max. And am replacing them thanks to the demon. Today I decided to withdraw my registration for the upcoming LSAT. That was a hard decision that I know will pay off in the long run. I recently broke into the 160s after plateauing around 154. My original diagnostic was a 142. I knew that if I had took the LSAT, I would end up with a score that I didn't that didn't accurately reflect my abilities. I know that canceling my test was the best choice. But I still can't shake the idea that I'm doing something wrong. I'm 23 and living with my parents. When I see everyone else my age, I can't help but feel like I'm falling behind. Do you have any advice or perspective that could help me shrug off this sinking feeling? Thanks for being the voice in my head reminding me not to be a dumbass. (laughs) Pablo, okay. I have some ideas. You? (laughs) Yeah, get a fucking job and move out of your parents' house. I was going to say, get a job. I agree with that and make a plan. I don't think you're, whether staying in your parents' house is not ideal for the long run, but if that's part of your plan, you're like, Hey, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to save all this money by living here for the next year. Great. I think people who have plans and vision are moving forward and getting out of (laughs) whatever situation they're in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was gone at 18, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I there, there's no way I could handle living with my parents beyond a certain age. We're wildly different in religion and politics and just about everything. And ain't no way I was going to be happy living there to the age of 23. Um, so I worked. I, I mean, I was in school, but I also always had a job. And I started paying my own bills and had autonomy and became an adult person. So for me, that's what I had to do in order to get out from under my parents' roof. And if that's how you feel about it, then that's what you should do. If you have a better relationship with your folks and you think you don't mind saving a little bit of money by living with them, then you don't have to move out. It's just that law school is not the solution to your I feel like a loser because I live with my parents. That's a really dumb, like the worst possible reason that I can think of to why to why you should go to law school. Law school is not the solution to to that problem.
1: Think about what you want to accomplish in life and really not in life. That's too big. Think about what you want to accomplish in the next year or two. (laughs) Set out concrete goals and start working towards them and make those goals ambitious. If that's law school, fine, but whatever it is,
0: move forward. You're not going to be a practicing lawyer in the next year or two. You might be in law school in the next two years, but you don't want to overpay for it. You don't want to rush into it. I mean, you don't want to pay for it That's part of your plan, right? I would hope
1: if your plan is to go to law school, go to the best law school you can go to for free. That is not someone who's being a dumbass. That's being smart. (laughs)
0: That's playing the game like a baller. You just have to decouple the living with the parents from this decision that's it, not It's not the same thing at all. They one thing has nothing to do with the other. If you want to move out, you can move out. You can get a job, you can be a barista, you can be a bartender. There's a thousand jobs. The fucking job market is hot. <laughs> Everywhere is hiring. You can get a roommate you can find out what it's like to split your bills and pay some rent and work your ass off and get a dirty inherited couch off of the street. (laughs) And, you know, or skip that and just sit on the floor. (laughs) That's probably a better call. (laughs) Yeah. But the, you know, the point is they're not the, the, you, you absolutely cannot be thinking about these two things at the same time. They have nothing to do with one another. If you want to move out, move out. If you don't want to move out, don't move out. Law school is a totally separate issue and you need to do that part right no matter what. So get the very best LSAT you can, apply early, apply broadly, get yourself a full ride to the best school that you can go to and and then do the law school thing. But you could do that while you're living at home or you could do that in your shitty apartment with roommates and they don't i don't know i think you're conflating those two issues pablo and the, it's not helping you at all
1: i i totally agree i'm going to double down to on making this plan pablo and writing it down make a plan write it down and start working toward it every day put it up on the wall it sounds corny but you write it down and you put it up on your mirror you're not going to forget it and every time you see that it's going to prompt you to work toward that so just and go and adjust
0: it as you learn get a job Save money. Yep. Work hard. Have a goal. Awesome. You got this. So Jay says, hey, Ben and Nathan, just listen to your guys' response to my previous submission. Just a refresher. I had a 3.7 in biomed engineering shooting for 170 plus while scoring in the 160s. You guys really supported the idea of taking an extra year. And I was wondering what you think would be the best use of my time During the effective two year gap, obviously getting the best LSAT score is my highest priority and the rest of my application along with shadowing. Hey, Ben, is that a priority? The LSAT score is the highest priority shadowing. Is that what you're asking about? (laughs) And the rest of the app. Yeah. I mean, priority, it's actually redundant to say highest priority Priority I believe should be the one single thing. It's changed yeah. in
1: meaning, unfortunately, but yeah.
0: The word priority really is supposed to mean that's the one thing. And the LSAT needs to be your priority, Jay. Prior, it means before everything else. Right. You can only have one thing before everything else. So all that other shit just doesn't matter. It's the LSAT, then everything else. And yep. you can literally do it that way. I mean, I've been doing a series of classes on admissions dragging people through personal statements and resumes and you know all the other little things that you have to take care of but you could do all that shit after you've already finished your lsat
1: absolutely take another year work there is nothing wrong with working you will be one year older one year smarter one year more disciplined you will kick ass more
0: yeah Jay says, I can't shake the feeling I'm not doing enough unless I get a job. Will law school admissions raise an eyebrow if I just say I worked on my application, traveled and pursued my interests in crypto trading and research and startup freelancing? What sounds like I don't know what your plan is, but some of that stuff
1: sounds like it could (laughs) be work a job doesn't have to be a traditional, let me go to a coffee shop and make coffee. I don't know what you mean by startup freelancing.
0: For also, what? you don't need to say you worked on your application. <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah. mean, by the never way, tell I them that. Don't ever say that.
1: No, it sounds like there's things you want to pursue and there's nothing wrong with making those things productive and helping you grow and learn and whatever.
0: I don't know how you have the money to do this, but that's great. They care about your LSAT, dude. That's what they care about. Focus on that. Whatever else you want to do in your free time, do all that shit. I don't, no one cares. Do the LSAT. Get the score that's going to make them actually look at you. You know, raise an eyebrow. Well, if you show them a 175, they're going to raise both eyebrows. They're going to be like, (laughs) oh, shit. Yeah. Look at this guy. 175. Yep. That that's I don't none of the other stuff matters if you get the right LSAT. But then he you know, people perseverate on these issues, you know. This would make for a super cohesive app as someone with experience in and hopes of utilizing my law degree in startups plus business in general plus crypto. Sure, it probably could, but don't let
1: These small potatoes get in the way of this much bigger truck that is your LSAT. Well, that's a horrible you know, analogy, but w-
0: <laughs> that's the idea. He thinks that sounds like a super cohesive law school app. It sounds a little all over the place, honestly. It sounds to me like someone who has no idea what they're getting themselves into by going Startups to law school. plus biz, general plus crypto. Gen- general? What do you think lawyers do, dude? Lawyers practice law. Now, if you end up practicing in some of these areas, sure, fine. But you're going to do professional training for legal practice. You're going to take crim law. You're going to take civil procedure. You're going to take torts. You're going to take property. You're probably going to take wills and trusts. You're probably going to take evidence you're you're all this bullshit is not that's not impressive to anybody because they know way more about else about law school than you know about law school and so all of this like you know you think you oh but i it's a perfect fit you see because crypto it's like uh you're going to wizard school you're learning how to you're learning the magic incantations of legal practice That's what law school is. It's about legal practice. Sure, you might end up practicing in these areas. But you're not going to be blowing them away with like, oh, we need this guy because he he has startup crypto business experience. (laughs) (laughs) No law school ever said that. He continues, if getting a job was an imperative, would you recommend a law related job or does it not really matter? Yes, I would absolutely recommend for you specifically a law related job, because I think you need to get some idea what world you're actually getting yourself into. I mean, honestly, it sounds to me like you probably shouldn't go to law school at all. I, I, I don't I don't think your interests I don't think you're going to I don't think you're going to find that your interests are really like very well uh, represented in law school.
1: No, crypto and startup freelancing sounds like you're someone who doesn't want their own boss and you want to go do your
0: own shit, which is cool. That's super cool. That's great. (laughs) Do all those things and forget about law school. (laughs) Law school
1: is get in line, get behind the partner in
0: charge and do exactly whatever the fuck he or she says. Be a worker bee. That's what law school is for. You don't sound like you want to be a worker bee. Nope. On the shadowing point, how would you recommend I go about finding lawyers to shadow? Confidentiality seems to be a deal breaker or simply not worth the time commitment to work around it from the lawyer's point of view. Warm regards, Jay. Ben has an eyebrow (laughs) lifted to the fucking ceiling on confidentiality seems to be a deal breaker. What are you skeptical about, Ben?
1: Well, so it sounds like Jay is concerned that if he shadows some attorney, the attorney is going to be worried about Jay divulging information to other people or something. I'm trying to make sense of the sentence. This is just not a concern. If you're going to work for somebody or shadow them, they're either going to say yes or no.
0: That's an excuse that Jay is making. Yeah. For not doing the networking. Yeah. That. Actually, oh, oh, they would might, need to happen.
1: They might be concerned uh, from, about convention, confidentiality. From so their not point of view,
0: out. they yeah. must think that it would be a breach of confidentiality slash not worth their time. So I'll just yeah. go ahead and not do it. Yeah, that's bullshit. Get Rachel Gezersay's book. Um, uh, how to about what's the book called again? It's anyway. It's about how to find a law job you love.
1: Yeah, it's how to how to get a law job you actually like.
0: We oh. changed. <laughs> entitled to a lot of job you love because you know, it's stronger but that's all true i uh, yeah and fewer words um yeah gezer say rachel there's yep. a book about how to network your way into uh these kinds of informational interviews that you should be doing jay if you really want to get this kind of a job by the way it's building connections for your future you know I could be a thousand percent wrong. Maybe there's a whole like thriving, you know, section of the American Bar Association focusing on crypto startup business. Plus biz. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, go. That's your you have to do your due diligence before you waste three years of your life uh, on law school. You've got to go knock on some doors uh, virtually. You know, yeah. it's basically just sending a bunch of emails, making some phone calls, and you just got to grind it out. And you're right, Jay, that nine out of 10 lawyers are probably going to say no. You don't care about those ones. You yep. care about the one who says yes. So you but you, you got to pound the pavement. All right. Anything else for Jay? Uh,
1: this is for everyone, really. We've heard we've seen the word utilizing twice today. I know Maybe we just so haven't gross. mentioned. Haven't mentioned it in a while, but everyone, anyone who's listening right now, stop using the word utilizing. You can use the much simpler and much more stable and long
0: lasting word using. (laughs) Or, yeah, use instead of utilize. It's one syllable instead of three. It means the exact same thing. And it's been around a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a wildly better word. Okay, Uh, you got this one from Heather.
1: Yeah, hi Ben and Nathan. I've had the dream of going to law school since I was in high school. <laughs> okay. However, comma, however, I decided to go to the go the medical route which ultimately led me to a very successful career in the food manufacturing industry, director level with 120,000 plus salary and my boss looking at me replacing him as the VP when he retires in 3 years. Okay. <laughs> What's the problem, Heather? (laughs) Stay there. I graduated with my undergraduate degree in December of 2010, so it's been a while since I've been in the school slash study mode, except for taking classes for industry certifications. My LSAC GPA is a 3.66 with a science degree, which seems decent, even though it's on the lower end of most of what I've been hearing and researching. Okay. However, my diagnostic exam was a 133 and I'm feeling completely lost. Have you heard of any students bringing up their score by 40 points? If so, how long did it take? Or do y'all have any recommendations on how to best start tackling material to get my LSAT as high as possible? Um, I know this might seem like a crazy career switch, but I would be looking at big law with this, with a specialization in food law. I would like to get into the best school possible but also would like to go for free. Additionally, we have also discussed me staying on with my current company as a consultant during school, so I'd have at least a small income if I choose to work. Let's start with this first question. Have you ever seen anyone go up 40 points?
0: No. Okay. We've seen a small handful of people, though, improve by 30 points. And if this does turn out to be your actual dream, then, yeah, I mean you could get into the one sixties and who knows, like maybe you'll be that first one who improves by 40 points and ends up in the one seventies.
1: Yeah. The reality is I don't care about that limit because you just have to get yourself from the one thirties to the one forties now. And once you're there, you're a you're on, <laughs> you're on um, par with everyone else who just started the LSAT. So now go from the one forties to the one fifties.
0: And that improvement do you do that? should happen fast, by the way, like, Mm-hmm. Do the free trial of LSAT Demon. Just go to LSATDemon.com and sign up for a free account and go to whatever classes you get invited to do some drilling, read some explanations, watch some videos. And if you're ever going to make a 40 point improvement, you should make a seven or eight point improvement like in two weeks mm-hmm. um, because you're not understanding the test. If you're getting a one thirty three, like you're just not. You're not actually doing it. You're not you're not reading it carefully. You're not understanding what's going on. You're not taking it seriously enough. Like you're really, really, really not getting it. You're just guessing. Yep. And with any understanding at all, you should get into the 140s like almost overnight. Then you'll start to get a sense of like, okay, I see how this test works. I actually have to understand what I'm reading. I actually have to pick answers that answer the question. I'm not just guessing, I'm really figuring it out. And yeah, I mean, you can improve quickly. I just, why, why do you wanna do this?
1: Yeah, it's gonna cost you time, it's gonna cost you money because even if you keep your job, and I absolutely think you should, I think you should go part-time if you decide to go and stay on as a consultant for your current company. Um, But even if you do that, your salary is going to drop substantially, and you're going to have to turn around and continue paying for life as you always have. But it just, um, yeah, I don't know. Your, your VP is going to retire in three years, and you're going to get a salary bump then. And you so seem to sooner, be doing a good
0: job. Like you're already killing it at your current job. There's no way you work as much as lawyers work. You. There's no fucking way you work as much as a big law lawyer works. Ugh. Like your best case scenario in big law is you're going to make $220,000 and work 80 hours a week. You know, and by the way, that's going to happen four years from now or five years from now. Yeah. After three years of reduced income, lots more expenses. Wait, maybe four years,
1: right? Because if she does a part time, if you go
0: part time, right. So four years worth of grinding it out for free at the law school paying them potentially, I hope not. Hopefully you can get a full ride. But all these years of misery, then grinding it out in a bar prep class, taking the bar, all for what? So that you can work in big law? When you already have a totally successful career? Why? This, I mean, this sounds like a just recipe for disaster. Like we tell people with no career not to do it. You have a career. It all, it honestly
1: sounds like a glitch in the the way the human psyche works, right? When you're a newer younger, is always greener. Well, there's the grass is always greener, but there's also I think this thing where when you're young and you get some sort of idea in your head or um, some goal, that goal is going to have an outsized influence on your decision-making in the future than it should because it was first basically, right? It was, she had this goal of going to law school. Why, why did you have this goal? Whatever the reason, it doesn't even matter at this point because it's become this thing that's driving her. And it's, it's like, wait a sec, you, you, what if this goal showed up on your doorstep now, would you still accept it with the, would you embrace it the way you are? Probably not. What were the
0: reasons that you even had that goal? Well, like children, which high schoolers are children. Children don't know what lawyers do. So that's why I'm never like when I hear this, I had a dream of going to law school since high school. I'm like, well, no, you had a fantasy of being a fantasy lawyer when you were in high school. But you don't know what lawyer high schoolers don't know what lawyers do. I mean, nobody knows what lawyers do. Like lawyers know what lawyers do. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty. It's not good. It's not, it's not like you, you only want to do that. If you have to do that, if you don't have any other options to have a, like, yeah, I'm sure you want to make a good salary. You're already working in like the industry that you want to work in. You could become a VP and you could hire lawyers and you can work with those lawyers as much as you want to work with the lawyers. I think the fact
1: that, Heather, you're shooting for big law makes me think you're shooting for a higher salary, which is the wrong reason. That's the wrong reason to go into law.
0: You're going to be so much happier. I don't you know, how much does a VP make? But if you're making over 120 as a director and you're going to get a promotion, I think I have to assume that you're going to make at least like 150. Yeah, it's not worth making 200 plus. For the absolute fucking misery that you're going to have to go through to be in big law instead of your executive office that you already have. I mean, people go to big law so that they can then later go in house. You're already in house. You're already the boss. Trust me. Management is way better than lawyer. Yep. Yep. Please don't do it, Heather. (laughs) I mean, I I would love to have you as a demon student if you decide that you absolutely have to do this, but I would be thrilled if you do not become a demon subscriber and do not pursue this path. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Thomas says, I found your podcast a week before I took my first official LSAT was October of last year. I was originally planning on applying that fall with whatever score I got, but because of a problem I had on testing day, I canceled that score. I took the November test and got a 166, but thanks to listening to the two of you, I decided to wait and apply early in the next cycle. Good so far. I took more of your advice and decided, uh, sorry, decided not to take the LSAT again until I was scoring perfectly on Logic Games. I spent the next seven months studying, and when I finally took, retook the test in June, I got a 179. Holy shit. Okay. I really can't thank you enough. If it wasn't for you two, I would have been applying mid-cycle last year with that 166. Now I'll be applying September 1st with a 179. <laughs> that, is, that is so different. That is insane. It's two completely different candidates. I mean, you're, you're, gonna, you're not even applying to the same schools anymore. No. Wow. Great. Now I'm trying to decide how to address an issue I have with my transcript. Don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Scoreboard (laughs) 179. Don't worry about it, dude. Your LSAT GPA is your LSAT GPA. You don't have to worry about whatever this is going to be. Halfway through my college career, I started struggling with depression. Yeah. Stop telling people about it. Just don't just don't mention it. For three straight semesters, I enrolled, I enrolled in classes, but withdrew from all of them. And now I have three consecutive semesters of W's on my transcript. After these three semesters, I finally took a year off of school to work on my mental health. And in my final two years after returning from that break, I got a 4.0 with a 3.4 cumulative GPA. These W's don't affect my GPA, but they do create a question for law schools that I think I need to answer. Well... If they ask you the question, then answer the question. Yes. I think most applications actually do have that question. If there are. Anomalies. Lengthy gaps. Yep. In your transcript. So you can explain your lengthy gap, but I would just say. I would not say depression.
1: No, I wouldn't say anything. I would actually just say I would twist, you know, when um Politicians are asked questions and they actually answer a different question that fits their <laughs> totally. agenda, right? Your agenda right here is to highlight the 4.0. So I would, yep. I would skip all this and pretend to have answered any questions. You can preempt them by just giving them this in a, an addenda that says, uh, or addendum, sorry, after taking a two-year break from school, I returned and got a 4.0.
0: Yeah, totally. It, it's like,
1: let's redirect, let's refocus. That to answers the, the question. Yeah. yeah.
0: If, if, you yeah. So like, imagine it's an interview, right? Or like yeah. I'm a reporter and Ben is a politician and I go, yeah. can you uh, explain this gap in your, uh, in your transcripts? Yeah. What's with all the, you know, the W's It'd be like, well, after I took a
1: two year break from school, I, I came back and I got a 4.0. Yeah.
0: It's like, oh,
1: okay. And then the, yeah. the, the, the discussion shifts.
0: Yeah. Or you could start talking about mental health issues and depression and whatever. <laughs> no, that's nope. not the winning move. That's not that's just not you're not playing the chess game. You're not you're not deflecting their. You're not doing the judo that is required here to. It's like you got to be like a lawyer, right? You got to be slippery. So you're answering Ben answered my question, you know, Ben, yeah. Mr. Olson. Can you please explain to me this uh, three consecutive semesters of W's that are on your transcript?
1: Oh, absolutely. After taking a couple of years off, I came back and got back into school and got a
0: 4.0. Totally. That is, that's beautiful. <laughs> and that's what, your, that's what your addendum should look like. Yeah. I mean, if,
1: someone, if, if you're in a literal interview and someone presses you on this, which I don't think they would. But if they, even if they did, you just say, "I needed to take a break from school." What can they say to that? At the end of the day, you, you just bring them back, and then I came back, and you know it was great. I got a 4.0 yeah. and I'm ready. You know, I'm con- ready for so law school. so contrast
0: that. He he goes. his whole paragraph about how I thought about writing about mental health issues in my personal statement. Oh, oh dear geez, God! Don't
1: bring more
0: more <laughs> light to this weakness. Yeah, we're only gonna write about things that benefit us. You know, or to the extent now, if you had a criminal record or something, even then you're going to just be like this happened. Here's how it was resolved. Yep. Not explaining it, not not trying to justify it, not lessons learned and all that bullshit. Just just at the you're going to answer those questions at the bare minimum. Right. When I said, hey, Ben, explain your gap. He said, all he basically said was I took a break and then when I came back, I got a 4.0. So, you you know, he's like he did. He acknowledged the gap, <laughs> but it's like you don't need to try to explain it. So here's here's a, um, Thomas's uh, potential addendum. It says from the summer of 2018 to the spring of 2019, I struggled. I was struggling with my mental health and had to withdraw from all of my courses in these three semesters I took time off after the spring of 2019 and after returning I received a 4.0 in my final 2 years of undergraduate work.
1: Okay, great. I like how you focused on that at the end, but you don't need to mention anything about mental health. If you absolutely have to say something about that time off, you just say I had to take a break. No one knows why,
0: no one cares. Yeah, I mean there it, it could you you could have had you know, your mom and dad could have both been hospitalized because of a tragic car accident. Who knows? You had to earn more money to continue
1: paying for school. <laughs> no one knows why you had to take a break, but everybody has
0: to take a break in life. It's not a big deal. N- no one cares. And if, but you know, if you bring up the specter of mental health issues, then, you know, even if they're not like, intentionally discriminate against you on those grounds, they could very easily accidentally, you know, let's say you're on the bubble against some other applicant. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, well, you know, Thomas, he's got these mental health issues. I don't know. Or <laughs> if you had written it totally differently. Well, you know, Thomas, I mean. His UGPA is 3.4, but he did get a 4.0 in the final semesters. You have an opportunity to spin their question into something that benefits you. Absolutely. And to be clear here, we're not <laughs> we're not
1: shitting on your mental health issues. We <laughs> everyone has mental health issues to be honest, and dealing with your mental health issues is exactly what you should have done. That's awesome. That's great. We're just saying that it's not your best foot to put forward. That's it just it's how it looks. It doesn't look good,
0: so Don't talk about it. All right. Why don't you read this one from Alyssa?
1: Hey, y'all. I'm applying for the 2023 application cycle, and I'm looking for advice on a GPA addendum and statement for a specific fellowship. I have a 3.1 GPA from my undergraduate institution. My freshman year, I was sexually assaulted by another student who shared my major and concentration. Shit. I performed significantly worse in the six classes we shared over the next two years due to him constantly harassing me.
0: I, I, I'm already just really, that's a lot to share with people. I'm sorry you went through all that. That totally sucks. I don't think it's in any way beneficial to share it with the schools you're applying to. I don't know. Go, Go ahead, I guess.
1: Yeah. Eventually, I reported the situation to Title Nine. Is that what that is? Title Nine, and earned a, earned straight A's for the next two years as we no longer had classes together. How can I write an addendum that is candid but also not painting myself as a victim? Similarly, um, I'm applying for a fellowship through my first choice law school. The essay prompt is include any additional one page. Sorry, include an additional one page essay. Describing in detail the obstacles you have overcome in life and why, are you, a, why you are a strong candidate for the program. I am a first-generation high school graduate and the daughter of an incarcerated inmate. I'm having trouble writing a statement that ties these challenges to my success as a student and future successes as a lawyer. Would you recommend, what would you recommend is the best way to address these issues and create a cohesive and standout application? Let's start with the grades first. I would just talk about earning straight
0: A's for the last two years of school. Two years is a long time. That's great. Same advice that we gave to Thomas. I just don't think you, and I'm not calling you a victim, Alyssa. I mean, I, I don't, I, this totally sucks. And, you know, sharing that story, you can share that story in a lot of different ways. I don't think I would share that story as part of your sales pitch for why law schools should admit you. The 4.0 that you achieved after that situation was resolved, that's a reason why the law schools should admit you. So just like our advice for Thomas, I think I would just do the exact same thing as far as a GPA addendum is concerned. Focus on the shit that is unequivocally good. Like they read it and they go, sweet, love that. For this separate essay, for this fellowship, I, I think you got a ton of shit to talk about. You're literally a first generation high school graduate. Wow. <laughs> that's that's that is exactly what they're looking for. That could be your first sentence. I am the first person in my family to graduate from high school.
1: From high period.
0: school. That's that is incredible. That you've made it as far as you've made it. You want to talk about being the daughter of someone in prison? I think you could probably talk about that too. I think you're way overthinking the idea that you need to tie it to your success as a student or tie it to your future success as a lawyer. They're not looking for your speculation. I agree.
1: You can write about the obstacles you have overcome. Stop writing about them. And then if you want to answer this question, talk about things you're doing now that show the skills that they're looking for. Hard work, detail oriented, things like that.
0: Let them make the connection to law school. Yep. You don't know what lawyer you don't know what law school is or what lawyers do until you get there. So. Don't speculate about how these things are going to like you're having a hard time writing it because you don't know you shouldn't have a hard time writing because you should be writing the things you actually know about, which are you and your life. So they want obstacles in detail. You can give them obstacles in detail. Oh, man, you can talk about what that was like you know, talk about your mom, talk about your dad, talk about how they didn't graduate from high school. Talk about how it was different from the other people that you were in high school with, you know, but I mean, I still think that first sentence, I am the first person in my family to graduate from high school. (laughs) Talk about what it's like to have a, a parent in prison. Those are all obstacles that you overcame. You know, you, you maybe took Trips away from college in order to go to visit, you know, visit, visitation, whatever. You can write about all that shit. And then I agree with Ben 100%, write about what you're doing now. Let them make the connections to your future success. It's just a better way of answering that question. Cause everyone else is going to try to, everyone else is going to have like multiple paragraphs worth of bullshitting. About like, I'm a strong candidate. I'm going to do well, about about what they're going to do. And instead, you can just write about what you did and what you're doing. And let them put the pieces of the puzzle together about what you're going to do. Yeah. I think you've got an amazing story to tell, Alyssa. But I, I would, boy, I would hammer the shit out of I'm the first person in my family to graduate from high school. Yeah, nice work. All right. Last email here from Sheldon. My question regards knowing when to withdraw from
1: an LSAT administration. I took the June LSAT and scored a 166. My average practice test scores before the June LSAT was a 168. The average of my practice tests, I guess, was a 168. I signed up for the August LSAT. I have taken three practice tests in the last month, yielding scores of 160, 166, and 164, respectively, an average score of
0: 163. Uh, Why are you averaging your last three scores? You have more data points than that. Either way,
1: it doesn't look great. Um, My goal score for August is anywhere between 168 and 172. My latest practice tests do not indicate that I'm in that range and it seems I'm actually performing worse now. Oh, I don't know what your practice... Well, I guess, oh, the average before was 168. Hmm. Okay, how should I know when to give up and withdraw from the August LSAT? What would my average practice test score need to be to justify taking the August LSAT with my goal score in mind? Um, is there a risk to taking the August LSAT and scoring worse on the August administration? Could a worse score at a later date actually negatively impact my application? Thank you both for the free, thoughtful, and helpful advice.
0: Wait another cycle. Yeah, I don't think you're ready. You're not ready. This is not you're you're struggling because you're trying to play a game that you actually don't have. It's it's like me if I go out on the golf course and just, you know, I have to break par today. That's a real good way for me to shoot. Eighty five. I I have to play my game. And you're you're stretching. It's like, this is obvious that your your goal score is interfering with your actual performance. I would withdraw from August. I would do practice tests. I would focus on getting that click that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. I would focus on understanding not scores. And when your scores get into the one seventies reliably, then register for a test but you're 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 not you're not a good candidate for success on this upcoming august test you're it seems really likely that you're going to crash and burn you're trying to do too much you're 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 overreaching you're probably doing too many questions you know well in order to get between 168 and 172 i got to try to finish these sections and then your accuracy is garbage You stop understanding what you're doing. And that's how, I mean, man, someone who was scoring 168, there's no fucking way you should ever score 160.
1: I mean, it happens and it happens because of, right? The things you're talking about, stress or not focusing on what you're doing. Who knows? That's what
0: I guess I if, yeah, if you're doing it right, like if you're treating every practice test, like, Hey, it's just another practice test. I know what I'm doing here. I'm focusing on understanding. I'm gonna read it carefully. I'm gonna feel good about my answers. You can't go from an average of 168 down to a 160 if you're playing the game properly. You know, if you're remembering to breathe and you're just reading the questions one at a time and actually understanding them and figuring them out, you're not gonna have that much downside variance. Uh, I think you're freaking yourself out by having too specific of a goal and on a preordained timeline. And that's just not the way we do it here. I agree with what
1: you're saying, Nathan. Um, The the problem here (laughs) is that you probably wouldn't need to ask us this question if you were reviewing those tests carefully and figuring out what was going on. If you get a 160 and then you review the test and you figure out where you messed up, you would know whether you're closer to 160 or actually closer to 168, 170. You would have a good assessment of that and then you could make sense of that number as opposed to just treating it as a number in isolation without any context of the questions that you missed to get that. Our advice is always the same. When you get questions wrong, Go figure out why you got them wrong. If the reasons there are, hey, I actually totally get this. I just, I don't know, I was distracted or I was trying to rush or whatever. Then you could dismiss some of these numbers and be more confident that you're ready in August. But it sounds like you're just focusing on the numbers themselves and not thinking about the, the details that actually matter.
0: Two, me, two emails ago, we were talking to Thomas. Thomas was writing in telling us, About his 166 that he had on record, which is exactly what Sheldon has. Mm -hmm. I took more of your advice and decided not to take the LSAT again until I was scoring perfect on games. You think Sheldon is perfect on the games? Probably not. Not with a 160. I studied for the next seven months, and when I finally retook the test in June, I got a 179. That was Thomas. Thomas. Sheldon, you could be Thomas. You have the opportunity to be Thomas. But it's going to involve giving up on law school this cycle. It doesn't mean stop LSAT studying. Quite the opposite. It means keep LSAT studying. Get to the point where you're perfect on the games. Actually understand how the right answers make perfect sense and the wrong answers are perfectly wrong. Revisit our discussion that we had at the very top of the show where we talked for quite a while about that. Stop focusing so much on your 120 to 180 LSAT score. Stop taking practice tests like just pulling the handle on the slot machine, looking for a different number, looking for that better number. You know, we're not going to answer your question about like, what would my average PT score need to be to justify taking the August LSAT? You know, with my goal score in mind, like, I don't even, I, I don't agree with your goal score. I think that you potentially could shoot way higher than that. Any last words for? Sheldon? No, thanks for writing in. B. Thomas. You can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode number 362 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.